Hey everybody, uh, Pastor Chad here. Uh, we had some tech issues on Sunday, and we were not able to get the sermon on our live feed. And so I debated this morning on uh, how I should go about this, because I would love for you guys to get this message. And so I thought, you know, I'll just video. And so, uh, so you're going to get the sermon a little different this week. Um, if you weren't able to attend in person on Sunday, you're getting it kind of secondhand in the middle of the week, but that's okay. It's better than no sermon at all. And so, uh, so we're going to jump right in. Of course, uh, I will do my very best to be normal old me. Um, of course, it's not Sunday morning, so it's a little bit of a different vibe uh, sitting in my office on a Monday morning. But here it is anyway. Uh, so if you remember, last week we looked at um, the story of the wilderness. We looked at Moses. We looked at the Israelites. And man, God was doing some cool stuff. Oh my goodness, he was doing cool stuff, right? So, so if you remember, the Israelites uh, are slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. They're slaves in Egypt. And so finally, God speaks to Moses out of this burning bush, and he says, Moses, we're going to go places. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you to the Israelites. We're going out of slavery. We're going to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be awesome. And so Moses is like, uh, I don't know if I can do that. So God pairs him up with Aaron, right? Because God is not a God of excuses. He pairs him up with Aaron and away they go. And so they go in, God's putting plagues down on the Egyptians to convince them to let him go. He is, uh, he's leading them through the Red Sea, right? God's doing all sorts of cool stuff, stuff that you and I like dream of seeing God's, of God do. However, you would think that after those moments, right? After you see God wipe out the Egyptians after 400 years of slavery, you see him wipe out the Egyptians and, and set you free. You're going, hmm, I'm going to follow that guy. I'm going to trust that guy, right? Then, not only that, but then God takes you through a Red Sea, right? You're going through literal sea. He parts it. He gets you through and then crashes it in on everybody else. All your enemies are gone. That's going to be a pretty trustworthy God, right? He's done cool stuff. He's doing amazing things. So you would think, you would think the Israelites would be super faithful, they would love God. But yet, that is not how the story goes. In fact, the Israelites are constantly complaining. Constantly, right? So the complaining starts just before they cross the Red Sea. Because God, if you remember from last week, we, we talked about the fact that God said he's not going to take them by the fast way because the fast way is going to discourage them. They're going to they're quit, right? So he took them by the, by the wilderness, by the Red Sea. So what he does is he gets them to the Red Sea, and he's like, all right, now turn around and set camp right here. Now, you have to remember, the Red Sea's in front of them, enemies behind them. The Israelites probably aren't real thrilled with this. We wouldn't be real thrilled with this. So what they do is they start to complain. They say, man, it would have been better if we just kept in slavery, right? It'd be better to be in slavery than here to die. So they look back. They look back on this time in Egypt with these rosy glasses, right? They're like, it's a comparison thing. They're like, well, I can die here or I can go back to slavery. Slavery and alive seems better than dead. So they say, well, just take us back, All right? And instead, instead of having faith and, you know, like asking God for a miraculous, they just say, well, just put us back in slavery. But instead, God takes them through the Red Sea. So when they get to the other side, here's what happens. It says then, and this is uh, Exodus chapter 15, starting with verse 22. It says, then Moses had Israel leave the Reed Sea, Red Sea, and go out into the sure desert. They traveled for three days in the desert and found no water. 
When they came to Mara, they couldn't drink Mara's water because it was bitter. That's why it is called Mara. The people complained against Moses. What will we drink? Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord pointed out a tree to him. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, uh, this story kind of cracks me up, right? So, so God has literally put plagues down to get them out of slavery. At this point, they've already crossed the Red Sea, so God has already parted the Red Sea to give them freedom. So they get across, and they've gone three days in the, in the desert with no water. Now, obviously not fun, right? Obviously. However, after seeing God do the miraculous, they don't turn to God, right? They don't, they don't ask a favor of God. It says instead that they complained against Moses. And what I love in the NIV is it, it says that they grumbled against Moses. They grumbled. So instead of praying, instead of seeking the Lord, instead of being like, hey, God got me through this stuff. Let's see what he can do here. They just grumble and complain. And it's almost like you almost hear the sarcasm in their voice. Like, well, Moses, what are we going to drink now? And so Moses, because Moses is faithful in most regards, Moses cries out to the Lord, right? The right answer when you're in a time of sorrow, by the way. So he cries out to the Lord and God gives him this piece of wood. It's a piece of a tree, right? This, this says tree. In other places, it says piece of wood. And essentially what he does, is he just throws it in the water and the water becomes sweet and they're able to drink it. So they made it through again, right? They made it through again. So you would think, all right, we're finally there. The people are going to trust God. They're going to do great stuff because they're going to trust God. And then the very next thing that happens is this in chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the Sin Desert, which is located between Elam and Sinai. They set out on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The whole Israelite community complained against Moses. <laughs> Grumbling. Again, the whole Israelite community complained against Moses and Aaron in the desert. The Israelites said to them, Oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. There we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Instead, you've brought us out into the desert to starve this whole assembly to death. God! The Israelites complain again. This time because they're hungry. Right? I mean, let's be honest. They're getting hangry is what it is. Right? It's dramatic because they're hungry. Right? They're super hungry. So it's like, I'd rather die than be hungry. It's dramatic. We have to admit that. It's dramatic. However, however, here's what they were really doing. What they were craving were the comforts, right? They were craving, craving the comfortable parts of Egypt. Remember those rosy glasses that we wear when we look at our past? So what they say is we're, we'd rather die because at least in Egypt, we could sit by the pots cooking our meat. We'd eat our fill of bread. Instead, you brought us here and we're going to die of starvation. So, they're, so they look back at Egypt, and what they're remembering is the need that they currently have was met in Egypt. Never mind that they were in slavery for generations. The need they had was met. And so it's interesting because we look at these stories, I think, sometimes with our own sort of rosy red glasses, right? And we, we look at the Israelites and we think, well, that would never be me. That would never be me. I would, I would never complain in these situations. I can't believe they would do that. 
But then we're put in these situations, right? We're put in the wilderness where we have to trust God, where we're not sure where the next day's food's going to come from, where we're not sure when we're going to get to return to our sanctuary. And we're put in these situations, and suddenly we become exactly like the Israelites. When we're put in our wilderness, the first thing we do is we crave the comforts of our comfort zones. Now, for a lot of us, our comfort zones vary. Okay, during COVID, all of our comfort zones have been shattered, right? For, for most of us, we have a very specific place in a specific church in a specific town that is our comfort zone for church, right? And if we're not in that space, we feel like we're not in the right space to worship. So the same thing happens in each of our lives. It might happen at church, right? And we're all feeling that. But the same thing happens in each of our lives. We have these comfort zones that we set up, places where we are kind of, we're able to unwind and be ourselves, and we feel at home, and they've all been removed, right? Most of our comfort zones have been shaken up, they've been removed. The problem with this is not that they've been removed, right? The problem is our response to our comfort zones. What do we do when we're no longer in our comfort zone? Now, the Israelites chose to complain a lot over and over and over and over again. And when they complained, essentially what they complained about was that they were not comfortable. But the thing about it is, most of us, we don't realize that comfort doesn't really draw us closer to Jesus. Right? It just doesn't. I mean, in our comfort zones, do you know who get credit? We do. When we're in our comfort zones, we don't turn to God. We don't give God credit. God's glory isn't shown in our comfort zones. God's glory is shown in the places of wilderness, in the places of difficulty, in places where we have to rely on him because we don't have any other choice. That is where God gets revealed. So so if we want to stay in our comfort zones, really what we're saying is we don't want to build a trust in God. We don't want to build the faith in God because those things are built in somewhere else. They're built in the wilderness. They're built in times of difficulty. They're built in times where we have to rely on God. And so it's interesting because in this passage, what God does is he makes it to where they have to rely on him. They have to have faith. They have to trust. Because he doesn't just say, oh, they need food. I'm going to give them a week at a time. No. Here's what he says, starting in verse 4. He says, I'm going to make bread rain down from the sky for you. Kind of cool, by the way. I just Side note. Bread raining from the sky. Literally just food coming down. It reminds me of that movie, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Anyway, so the people will go out each day and gather just enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them to see whether or not they follow my instruction. On the sixth day, when they measure out what they have collected, it will be twice as much as they collected on the other days. And so Moses and Aaron told all this to the Israelites. So, so here's the cool part. So the Lord gives meat. It says the Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning because the Lord has heard the complaints you made against him. The complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. So he says, look, you're going to rain down, and it turns out to be manna and quail, right? Bread and meat. And so God literally rains this stuff down, which is just the coolest way to provide things. I mean, I, he could do it anyway, but he just makes it rain down from the sky. Like It's, it's the coolest thing. So here's the, here's the cool part about this. There's a required trust in here, and God even says, I'm going to test them to make sure they're listening. Uh, their required trust is this. They were only allowed to collect one day's worth of food. That's it. Nothing more. In fact, later on, it tells us that anything more that was collected would be bad by the morning. So like if you were trying to hoard some for tomorrow, it would be bad by the next day. Literally that fast. 
So, so God is testing them. He's like, listen, just trust me, right? But no, they are all about their comforts, right? They're looking back at Egypt and they're like, oh, I wish things were like that. Now, how many times do we do the exact same thing? right? We look back at our, at our season of Egypt. We look back at our season of comfort and we look at our comfort zones and we say, get me back there, right? Take me back to my comfort zone. And yet God is calling us out of them constantly, right? In fact, in the scripture, there's really only one place that we should set up our shop for comfort, right? There's one place that we should set up our comfort zone. Do you know where that is? The will of God, there is only, that is the only place, the will of God is the only place where we should be like, this is it. This is my home. I'm going to set up shop right here. I'm never leaving this spot. The will of God. That is the only place that we should have a comfort zone that we desire to be in all the time. Because otherwise, what we should be seeking is, God, what's my next step? Where's the next place you're leading me to? Now, that's not to say we're not going to have comfort zones, right? All of us have some space um, that I would say feels like home. That's the, that's the expression that I would use. Uh, I have a space that feels like home, right? It's with, it's with my wife and with my kids now. And, uh, and because we just moved, our actual literal house has, is, it's getting there, but it's not, we're not quite there yet. Right. And, and, but being at home, having that feeling of home is that feeling of like, I'm in a safe place. I can be me. I can settle in. I don't have to put on anything. I, I can just, I'm here and I'm here. And we all have those places. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have those places. I'm saying that if you spend your entire life in your comfort zones, if you spend your entire life in that home feeling, you are never going to develop a trust in God. You are never going to develop faith because you don't need faith or trust when you are in your comfort zones. When you are in a comfort zone, you have everything that you need and very self-sufficiently. Think about it this way. It's much easier for us when we are jobless and we have no money coming in, it's very easy to give glory to God for every single meal that we get. Now, when we have jobs that provide and we have a pantry full of food at our house, that is when giving credit and glory to God for the food that we eat becomes a much more difficult to remember. We forget so quickly that God has provided the job that provides the food. And it's because we're in a place of comfort. And I learned this in Uganda because... In Uganda, many of them don't have uh, pantries full of food. They don't have steady income jobs. They, they're, they're bartering, they're buying and selling constantly to make ends meet. And so they're buying food enough for whatever they can afford, right? I can remember my first year in Uganda teaching on fasting. And we taught on doing a three-day fast. And all the pastors chuckled. And so when I asked them, I said, well, what are you laughing about? And the one guy said, we go three days without food all the time. So we had to change our teaching from the difference between three days without food and three days of fasting, because they're very different. Uh, however, the, my point is there are places in the world where that's not guaranteed. And so they will tell you, I ate today because I prayed. Those two things are always connected. I communed with God, and so I ate today. So we do this in our own lives. We find these comfort zones, these little pockets, and we forget that God provides them in the first place. We forget that we're called to step out because here's the coolest part of this story to me, starting in verse nine. Okay, here's what it says. Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole Israelite community, come near to the Lord because he has heard your complaints. And as Aaron spoke to the whole Israelite community, 
They turned to look toward the desert, and just then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Here's why I find this cool. The Israelites are dreaming of Egypt, right? They've got their rosy glasses on, right? The past is always looks great in the present. They've got these rosy glasses on and what the past looks like. However, Aaron looks, the people look, and where is God? Where is the Lord? It doesn't say that the Lord is back in Egypt. It doesn't say that the Lord is back across the Red Sea, right? It says they turn to look toward the desert, and just then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. See, the Lord was not in Egypt. The Lord was not in the past. The Lord was in the desert. The Lord was in the wilderness. The Lord was in the future. He was in the place where he was calling them to, calling them to go deeper, calling them to have more faith, calling them to move forward, right? So so the Lord, the Lord was in the desert. He was in the wilderness. He wasn't in their comfort zone. He wasn't in their, he wasn't, he wasn't calling them to go back. And so I have to ask, and I have to wonder, um, not just about the church, but also about our lives. What places has God been calling us out? He's been calling us forward, and we keep looking back. We keep looking back saying, oh, it was so great back then, right? And and you know, you know we're all guilty of this, right? You know we are. How many times in the church, especially, do we say, oh, man, 50 years ago, things just looked so different, right? Things were so different in our in our church. Things were so different in the country. Things were so different in the world. Right, And they were different. I don't doubt that. But the thing is, God is calling us forwards. He's not calling us to get back to something. He's calling us into something new. He's calling us into something better. Because let's be honest. The world was great for some people 50 years ago, but not all people. The church was good for some people 50 years ago, but not all people. Because if the church was good for all people 50 years ago, every last person you meet who is at least 50 years old would be in church. And they're not. So we look back with these rosy glasses and we say, wow, the past was so great. And yet God calls us forward. He's calling us into the future. Now, I talk a lot about the church in this, but, but this applies to our own lives as well. What is God calling you forward into? Right? And usually, here's how I usually know that God's calling me into it. I either, A, am hesitant to do it or don't want to do it at all. <laughs> That's the hard part. <laughs> God is really good at calling us to do stuff that, that we're not 100% comfortable with because it's not in our comfort zones. Right? He wants to build faith. He's not trying to build comfort. He's trying to build faith. So it's something that I, that I had to pray through. But it's also something that looks a lot like Jesus which I know because I read the Gospels, right? We have to be in Scripture to know what Jesus looks like and what Jesus would do. But it always requires a, a step of faith. It always requires me to step out of a comfort zone instead of living in one. Always. And I would guarantee, I guarantee that every single one of you has something. There's some zone that you've been in, a comfort zone, that you know God is calling you out of because we all do it. So I want to challenge you this week. I want to ask, what is the thing God is calling you to do? If you're not sure what that looks like, what I want to challenge you to do is to simply read the Gospels, right? Read them until you have some clarity on what you should do next. Because it's easy 
to hear the voice of Jesus when we know what the voice of Jesus sounds like. So what is God calling you to? And then go do it, right? We're supposed to be out of our comfort zone. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. It's supposed to be faith building. That's the whole point. God is in the wilderness. The Lord is in the next steps. He's in the future. He's in the next. So what is next for you? What is next for our church? What is next for this country? What is next for the world? These are the questions we should be asking. Where is the Lord? The Lord is in the wilderness. He's in the next. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you go before us into the next, into the wilderness. And Lord, we ask that as we prepare to take that step, Lord God, that you would speak to us, that you would help us to see what the next step is, that you would make it clear and bountiful. And then, Lord, we pray that as we take it, you would build our faith, that we'd rely not on ourselves, not on our church, not on our country, not on anything else. God, we want to rely on you. So help us, Lord, to be dependent on you because we know that you've not made us to be self-dependent, self-reliant. You've made us to be in relationship with you, to be dependent and faithful to you. So God, we give our lives to you this day. And we ask that as we step, you would step with us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, if you know what that next step is, and you're a little afraid to go there, let me encourage you with this. I'm a firm believer that as your pastor, I'm called to go there with you. Okay, so if you're like, hey, I know I'm called to do this, and I have no idea how to get there, come see me. Let me pray for you. Let me pray with you. Let me help you figure out next steps, right? This is what I'm here for, okay? So if you're looking and you're trying to figure out that next step and you need some help, give me a call.